Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey guys, Dr. Hondorp here, and really excited to bring this episode to you with Shadow Ball. I spoke with Shadow a little while ago, and I just relived our interview, um, listening to the recording, and I had so much fun listening to it. I think you're really going to enjoy Shadow. She is incredibly funny and incredibly honest, and I actually heard her on Jen Radke's podcast, Fat Girl Book Club. We talked about that in the episode And I just had to invite her on because I know so many of you struggle with the implementation of intuitive eating and the process of unlearning and relearning all the BS messages that we're told about our bodies. And I think in this story, you're going to really hear an example from Shadow of how she's been able to move along in this journey, kind of trust the process and, and many of the fears and objections that came up along the way and how she worked through them. And we talk in some detail about just some of the specific things that she did that were helpful to her. We certainly talk about some of her support system and what that looked like and how that helped her to continue along the journey when she did have doubts. She talks about things that I hear all the time of like wanting to treat the binge eating, but not treat the restriction. So like thinking of binge eating is good and, uh, or binge eating is bad, sorry. And restriction as like being good and having to really challenge that mindset piece. And she also talks about another thing that I hear all of the time, which is sort of this like performative piece of restriction. Like I didn't eat very much today and sort of how this can happen with any body size, but it's actually fairly common in folks that I work with who might be in a larger body who might feel like they need to eat less at uh, at lunch at work or something like that. So I really think you're going to love this conversation and I can't wait for you to tune in. Do you ever worry that you're wasting your life? I definitely did. In fact, I wrote that in my journal many years ago when I was in the middle of the diet binge roller coaster ride. I woke up every day thinking about food, my body, and what I would eat that day to quote-unquote be healthy. 
The notebooks I had filled with calories and points could fill up a spare bedroom. Social events and vacations immediately prompted the thought they will notice I've gained weight or I need to lose weight by then. Deep down, I knew I wasn't living life the way I wanted to, but I didn't know how to pull myself out of it. If this is you, I want you to imagine what it would feel like to feel empowered in your body and proud of your choices on a consistent basis. I promise you this is possible and it isn't too late. You see, dieting steals our motivation. It makes us ineffective and lose faith in ourselves. It keeps us spinning our wheels in a system that was never built to work. If you're ready to take that first step to motivating yourself with what matters to you, download my Cultivate Powerful Motivation Guide, which is quite beautifully designed if I say so myself, and walk through the simple three steps to cultivate motivation that works for you in 15 minutes or less. You'll get a simple formula to write one sentence at the end that you can use to motivate yourself on a daily basis. You can write this sentence on your bathroom mirror, put it on the background of your phone, or just read it and repeat it in your mind consistently. Look, I know how much it hurts to live a life worrying that you're missing out, not stepping into the person that you were truly meant to be. You can listen to the podcast all day, but taking that first step, putting pen to paper or typing on your phone is required for true lasting change. It's time to start living, my friend. So it's 100% free. What are you waiting for? Grab your free guide today at drhondorp.com forward slash motivate. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash motivate. I can't wait to see you on the inside. And before we dive into today's episode, just a reminder that this podcast and corresponding blog are for informational and educational purposes only and should not ever be construed as any form of professional advice. If you are struggling in any of these areas or trying to figure out how this applies to your specific situation, always consult a professional for guidance. All right, let's dive in. All right, so today I have the pleasure of talking with Shadow Ball. Shadow is an artist and writer that lives in Toronto, Ontario with her husband and adorable dog named Gertie. Her essay, Stranger Words, was included in the anthology Big, Stories About Life in Plus-Size Bodies, published by Caitlin Press. She is also the person behind the Instagram account, The Word Fat, an art project that encourages submissions from everyone. Her only rule for this project is to be compassionate and curious about the feelings that may come up during the process. So welcome, welcome to the Motivation Made Easy podcast, Shadow. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here, Dr. Hondorp, Hondorp. I don't know exactly how to say the uh, part. Oh, Hondorp. Yes, you got it. Hondorp. Okay. Dr. Hondorp. I love it. (laughs) What a beautiful name. (laughs) Thank you so much. I, I, it's not, it's only been my name for the past few years. My other one was Catterman. It was a little easier to say. (laughs) I, my previous last name was Hamilton. So I feel you, Mm. uh, so Shadow Hamilton had like almost like a classiness to it. And I like Shadow Ball. It's short. It's unique. It's 10 letters. It's great. Um, but it's more complicated because my middle name is Crystal. Oh, I see. Yes. Yeah. I love Shadow Ball, but <laughs> that is that does complicate things. Definitely. Yeah, a little bit. Ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm so excited to have you here. As I mentioned to you before we got started or when I introduced you or in, invited you to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard your wonderful discussion with Jen Radke and Fat Girl Book Club, and I just had to invite you on because we're talking about 
intuitive eating today. And really just, I, I loved your openness about some of the struggles that you've had and implementing that and what that's looked like for you. So I'm super pumped to dive in to that with Thanks. today. Yeah, so. um, shout out to Jen. Jen's podcast is so great. Uh, and I've actually had the pleasure to be on her podcast uh, for intuitive eating, but then also for the book big, we did a panel discussion with some of the other writers nice. about okay. just like, you know, when, when you're in an anthology, at least for me, it was my first time being published. So it was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, a year later you reread your story and maybe you feel a little differently, but now it's like committed to print and out there in the universe. So what does that mean? And yeah. uh, that discussion was really rich as well. I really enjoyed that. I will have to check that one out. I can, I can imagine with my blog, I can always change things when I share my story, <laughs> you know, it's like the right. book's definitely a different, different thing. So mm-hmm. Well, great. So can you start by telling us about maybe a little snapshot about your personal journey with dieting and kind of how you eventually found intuitive eating? Yeah, for sure. So for me, I always remember being like the biggest kid in the class from kindergarten all through grade school. And like, I, it was always a source of bullying for sure. And I definitely always assumed that, you know, all I need to do is get on the right diet and the weight will come off and the bullying will stop. Like that was always a narrative in my brain. So I don't really remember starting my first diet necessarily. Um, but I do remember in high school being on a really strict diet, uh, around grade 11. And the impetus for me was, I was sick of buying clothes from like the teacher section of Sears as opposed to like the junior miss section. Um, and cause like I would literally go to school and like the teachers would be wearing the same blouse I was wearing. And I was like, Oh, right. Cause I'm not a child. I'm an adult. Cause my body's so large. Um, and that diet was really unsustainable. Like we're talking um, like I would, I would get like a Twix bar from the vending machine and break it up. And I would have that like all day. And it was like, you know, like, that's not enough calories for a growing teenager at all. (laughs) Uh, But at the same time, I was losing weight really quickly without giving up chocolate, right? So to Mm -hmm. me, it made sense, which is unfortunate. Um, And then I kind of was always like either on a diet or off a diet. So it was either all or nothing. Like there was never really an in-between for me. Um, So as such, I kind of my body did, you know, shrink and expand and shrink and expand uh, pretty wildly uh, from like middle of high school until my mid twenties. And for me, I didn't find intuitive eating. It found me. Uh, I was going to a doctor for a lot of issues around my menstrual cycle. Like it was completely irregular. I was having really bad um, cramps and things like that. And, uh, this was just almost like a one-off. It was kind of like, oh, there's a new, uh, workshop starting at the hospital. Do you want to be part of it? And it was six weeks, uh, meeting once a week. And the class was, wasn't even called intuitive eating. It was called like changing your food, making a change that sticks. And it was something about food and change. And I don't remember the exact title, but that was definitely, the idea behind it. So I was like, Oh, perfect. I'm finally gonna like, I here's what it is. I'm finally gonna find that perfect diet, because I'm going to go to with something that the doctor suggested, and it's six yeah. weeks and all this stuff. And uh, when I got to my first class, we got handed this intuitive eating workbook, and we worked through it for six weeks as a class. And then I had one on one support from the person who taught the class for like another year. 
Um, so yeah, it kind of found me and I'm happy that it did. <laughs> it did. And it found you. I remember that from your conversation with Jen, but it found you in such a different way. I actually just was sent a link today about uh, University of Michigan doing an intuitive eating uh, program here, like starting one soon. And that's incredibly nice. rare. Um, and so the fact that you had that a number of years ago is also a probably quite rare. I don't know if that's as rare in Toronto, but it's, yeah. You know. Well, I remember it was like the third time around. Cause I had seen posters for it at the doctor's office and I had asked about it, but it was full. And then this was like the first time it wasn't going to be full. Okay. Um, and again, cause it never said anything about intuitive eating. It just said like, control your cravings. I don't even, again, I wish I could remember what the poster did to like bring me in, mm -hmm. but I don't think the words intuitive eating were on the poster. And I don't think had the words intuitive eating been on the poster that I would have been attracted to the idea of it, honestly. <laughs> yes. That's an, also another interesting thing that we could go <laughs> yeah, like marketing sure. and words, but yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I'd love to hear what, when you first learned about intuitive eating in this intro workshop and workbook, what was your reaction? Mm -hmm. I was really excited for some of the more like mindful approaches. I remember one of the classes, maybe the second or third one, we had to do this exercise where, you know, you hold a raisin in your hand and you look at every wrinkle of the raisin and you have to like do all this investigative work with the one raisin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Ooh, this is like really cool. I like the idea of being more mindful and making it like a whole process. Um, and then some of the more I guess fun rules, which is a weird word to use, I was a lot more skeptical of. I was like, oh, well, that's just an excuse to eat junk food. Um, I also knew that if I trust, like not knew, but my experience was that when I was trusting myself, I wasn't eating properly. And that when I was delegating my food options to something like an app, I was eating quote unquote properly, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I was worried that I was gonna like, I was worried I wasn't going to be able to do it. Honestly, I was like, oh, I can't let some of these rules come in because I know that they're not for me. Like they're almost like they're... this might be re like more related to a different question, but like, I almost thought there was like a size limit to it. Mm -hmm. And that like, I had to get within a normal BMI before I could start intuitive eating. Like yeah. intuitive eating was what was waiting for me after my next extreme diet. Like it didn't seem like it was the next step. It seemed like it was two steps ahead. Like eventually I would, eventually I'll use this skill set. But I think that yeah. I, I love that you shared that because I've heard that before, I think many times in different ways, right? This mm. idea of like intuitive eating is for one body type, right? Maybe right. someone who's lost weight and they're trying to keep it off or someone who's yeah. in a smaller body and is too extreme and restrictive, then intuitive eating and, and sort of like it can't be for my body type. And I mm -hmm. do think that's incredibly common. And right. it, it reminds me too of what you said on Jen's podcast. I'm actually, it's been a while since I've listened, but it, there's a few things that you said there that I have not oh, forgotten. Okay. And I have a very it's bad so nice memory. So this is a <laughs> mean something, but you were, you were like, it was a reject to the diet mentality. Right. And you were like, well, and you just kind of alluded to it, like, yeah, yeah extreme diets, sure. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I just loved how you were like, well, sure, absolutely. I will not yeah. do any more extreme diets. Great. Yeah. But yeah. I, you know, that kind of has been challenged over time, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know you're not alone in that because lots of people, myself included, there was sort right. of this, this balance of what is it, what does that actually mean? 
Right. Do you remember, um, there, there's 10 principles of intuitive eating for the listeners who aren't aware. Um, and you go over them in depth actually with Jen and that, uh, those uh, two part episode. And so we can link yeah. to that if people want to like go super in depth into each one. But do you remember any other principles that besides, I guess the one we just mentioned, which is reject the diet mentality that you were like, eh, I'm not, I'm not so sure about this one. I think the idea that like movement wasn't, um, I guess the word I want to use is currency. Uh, I had definitely like learned this idea that like the reason we work out is to earn treats. Um, And the idea that you would just move for movement's sake was really like, oh, well, that's silly. Why would you waste time doing that? Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I, I, you know, you just want to, you just want to go back always. Whenever you find out anything, I think there's a grieving process of like, I wish I knew this at a younger age. I don't think it matters the age you determine, you find out these things. I think there's always, that's part of the process. Yep. Um, so for me, like, again, as a kid, I remember biking and hiking and doing all this amazing stuff. I grew up in, uh, a small town North of Toronto, uh, it's called Sudbury. There's a big nickel there. That's the big, uh, cool thing about Sudbury. We're a mining town. And again, growing up in Northern Ontario, there's lots of lakes. I, I rode my bike to go swimming and I rode back and I was just up there a few weeks ago and looking at some of these routes I used to take with such reckless abandon being like, wow, I can't imagine riding my bike to the beach, going for a swim and riding back. But when I was a kid, I loved it. Not even like a young kid, like even 13, 14, 15, before I, before I started understanding that my body was something to be like changed, I did have a really amazing relationship with movement. And I did really enjoy like just moving my body and experiencing things until it became so transactional as like, uh, okay, if you spend 30 minutes on the elliptical, you get to have a handful of M&Ms, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just a different, again, just a lot of grieve, grieving for all Absolutely. these years I wasted, not just enjoying hiking and biking and those kinds of things. Right. And how there was that, we talk a lot about like intrinsic motivation and there was that intrinsic motivation, um, and, and love of movement and in those ways. Mm -hmm. And it gets, um, really like robbed from you and so many people when it gets become so tied up with weight and so tied up with, um, the transactional calorie burn process and that like robbed you of that for, for many years, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, huge. Um, It was a big part of my teens and 20s. And it was also how I like, I guess how I performed my role. It's like, oh, I know I'm a chunky girl, but don't worry. Like I, I went to the gym today and here's my app and here's, it was like something I talked about constantly too, which must've been so boring for like Mm -hmm. the people around me, you know? So, but it's uh, that pressure that you feel like I need to sort of prove myself or need to sort of show mm-hmm. that I'm, I didn't think that's something that's often talked about with whether it's in health at every size or intuitive eating spaces, like yeah. this idea of like, you always need to be trying to achieve the thin ideal. And if you're not, yeah. then something, um, you need to be showing that you are in some way or you're not, yeah. not good. Yeah, Something's yeah, yeah. wrong with you for sure. Um, any other ones that you've really struggled with that you can recall? I guess um, for me, I guess the idea of like 
in a way I was worried about having something taken away from me. Um, like the feel your fullness. Like I had become really accustomed to eating beyond fullness when I was really stressed out. Um, and I was like, well, what am I going to do when I'm really stressed out? Like if I, if I feel my fullness, I'm not going to be able to just keep eating when I should, you know, maybe journal about something or actually talk to the person directly that's made me upset. Um, and also it like also gave me such a, I, I don't want to say high, but yeah, like sometimes binge eating gave me such a high that I would be able to like push through some really difficult stuff that I said to my nutritionist at the time, like, how do I, how do I embrace this lifestyle and still have access to, to a high like that? Cause I didn't want to give it up. I didn't, I, I was like, no, yeah. this is something that really helps me. And yep. you're telling me like, and again, it was like, so interesting. This is actually saved for another question. So I'm going to stop there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I, I, I do almost want to, well, we can save it, but this, yeah. like, that's also incredibly common. And, and on this podcast, we talk all the time about autonomy and really it comes down to like feeling like you, it's another thing, like intuitive eating's coming and taking away something, like mm-hmm. taking away something that you're not allowed to do anymore. And we all like yeah. choice in our life. We all like to have freedom of choice and intuitive mm-hmm. eating is actually trying to give that to you, but it's like, it's, it gets lost sometimes in the shuffle of, and, and, and people struggle with this in many different ways when they're trying to make a mm-hmm. behavior change, when they feel that pressure to make that change versus deciding to make that change. Right. Or deciding yeah. I'm allowed to eat until I'm like overly full at times. Like again, for sure. and I guess that relates to my next question, which is about kind of this concept of like unconditional permission to eat. It's related, but separate. Right. But that's one that people struggle with a lot in my experience. Do you recall what your reaction to that principle was um, at all? Yeah, the was first time, one? yeah, the first time I heard it, I was like, okay, so you just want me to eat 10 bags of chips in a week? Cause if you, mm-hmm. if I bring 10 bags of chips into my house, I'll eat all 10. Mm-hmm. And again, my nutritionist was like, would you though? And I was like, yeah, like <laughs> I, I, I was like, this is not good advice. I can't just have unconditional permission to eat because mm-hmm. I will eat it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, but this was all wrapped up in this idea that I was either a dieter being good, or I was either not a dieter and like yeah. ev- my body being evidence of that and my body being evidence of a good time. Like you want to like come have a few beers. You want to knock down some nachos. Like I'm your gal. Cause again, look at me. I don't care about my body. Let's go party. You know, and you've, you've internalized that message. It sounds yeah, like, like huge. this is a message, unfortunately that we hear. And then at this point you've internalized it and you bought into it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. I'm the fun one. Oh my gosh. Like if I'm not going to be the hot one, I might as well be the fun one, you know, and mm-hmm. like just really fell into that role in a lot of my friend groups, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd love to move a little bit into like, I, cause you know, all these principles are, they are separate, but they are related. Right. And so this idea of like, how did that start to change and morph for you? over time, because I, you know, I know from your previous story that it has, but what is that? How did that start to shift? Cause you, you had some of the normal skepticism and objections that many people obviously have. Right. 
I think had I not had, again, the initial support of the six-week class, because again, I had a lot of people in that class with me. I was also the youngest person in that class by far, uh, which Uh was interesting because again, that same idea where it's like, oh, I wish I knew when I was younger, everyone in this class was saying that to me. Like, I wish I knew when I was your age that this would be so impactful. Um, So that was really helpful. And then again, I, I... I want, I don't want to alienate anyone on either side of this, but it really helped me that my one-on-one coach was also a plus-sized woman. Mm -hmm. And for her, like, you know, she shared with me some pretty candid moments about being a plus-size nutritionist and going to these like conferences back when, you know, conferences were a thing and, (laughs) uh, you know, how awkward she would feel. Um, And I was so thankful for her, like really candid approach to that and the fact that like I wasn't hearing it from someone who didn't have the same experience as me like I felt Mm -hmm. so comfortable really sharing um parts of it that weren't just about the eating but a part of like the identity I felt I had or like all these other things because like another thing that comes with being like the bigger person is always being helpful so like I was late for a session with her and late, late, like I, like I, we only had 10 minutes left by the time I showed up, but it's because on the way to my session, something happened on the bus and I jumped in to help and it was like, okay, but you can't help everyone. Like you need to help yourself. And it was like, oh, but I mean, I come after like, you know, like I'm just like, but you made me wait. And so we had to like go through all this stuff about like, the externalization of those internal messages uh, was an important part of it. And also like making sure, again, I'm so externally motivated (laughs) that I almost needed her to say like, it hurt me that you were late and like, didn't call me ahead of time um, or didn't tell me, you know, and it's like, how could I have told you that this person needed my help? And maybe they did, maybe they didn't like even looking like, I can't even remember exactly what the situation was now. Cause I was yeah. so taken aback by this like feedback that I had to like, if, if this was something I was serious about, I had to really commit to it. Um, yeah. But also so, just getting that feedback yeah. from someone you built a relationship with that mm-hmm. you trusted. It's, I think very, um, in, indicative of what we know of, we'll talk about behavior change and psychology yeah. and, and like, and a lot of what I've done, we've been, we as a field <laughs> have been too focused on yeah. the individual behavior. What did you do? What right. didn't you do? And what you're describing is really like having that opportunity to talk to someone who's like, like you said, in a plus size body or body that you can identify with, like experiences mm-hmm. that you can identify with versus, you know, someone in like that just has a size privilege or what thin sure. privilege, whatever we want to call it. it yeah. yeah. You just have like, I've always kind of said that this has been an area for me for a long time that I'm really passionate about. It's like, I can only speak to my experience and the people that I've worked with in it. And we do need more people of like variety of body sizes talk about this because that absolutely, of course, it's going to be more influential potentially in in certain Mm -hmm. situations where you're like, you really get it. And you're like being vulnerable with me. And it just shows like human connection is actually how we make behavior change. Uh, ironically. For sure. It was interesting because I went to a session where she had a student with her and the student was 
in my opinion, so beautiful, like extra gorgeous. And I was, I was less open. And at the next session, I told her as much. I said, I felt less comfortable sharing this stuff with you, with her here. And she's like, oh, because she was a student. And I said, no, because she was like, to me, so beautiful that like, I couldn't, I didn't feel comfortable being open with her. Right. And like, then she, then we had a whole session about like, well, what is that? Like, why do you feel like if someone's I quote unquote more beautiful than you, you feel like you don't deserve to be in the same room as them or like, what is this? And that required a lot of unpacking. And then that same student came back like a few months later and we, I, I was a lot more comfortable in front of her. And uh, the student actually made a comment about it too. Like she was like, oh, like, and we, we really squashed it. So again, it was a year of like monthly check-ins with this amazing person um, that helped me a lot. Um, And also just the experience of it. And just like the more the time goes on, um, I'm just continually reaffirmed that this was the right way to go. So I just mentioned that I was in Sudbury uh, last week. And one of the things we did is we went for a boat ride. My dad has a boat. We went for this amazing boat ride, went for a swim, like had a really good time. And when we got back, we had barbecued hot dogs. Mm -hmm. And previously to intuitive eating, that would have sent me through like an emotional tailspin about like well we had this wonderful day we're out on the boat we're doing all these things and now I have to like choke down a hot dog and I hate hot dogs and blah 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 and it it was so different this time to just go back and just eat the hot dog maybe have two hot dogs Uh and some corn on the cob because guess what it's summer and you don't get a lot of summer up here in Canada Mm -hmm. and it Mm -hmm. was it was an amazing experience like it was so nice yes um so that those kind of moments helped me reaffirm that I made the right choice like yeah kind of like just the the freedom of being able to like live a life consistent with I don't know your values. That's kind of the wording I use for it, but like mm-hmm. live a life the way you want to live your life, essentially. Totally. Right. Yeah. Like, like if my dad wants to barbecue up some hot dogs and corn on the cob after taking us on a boat ride, like he's 60 years old, like that's a lot of work. I'm just yeah. going to accept it and be thankful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I, I think we might want to come back to like the, what's reaffirmed it because I think that that's, well, there's so many aspects to what you said that I want to highlight real fast, mm. which is like consistency and support and like appreciating the learning process of just like, it's a learning process, right? Yeah. Like it's, I mean, I certainly have worked with some people where they kind of like take the book, read it and run with it. And like, it, it can be a little bit of like a faster process, but it's still a learning mm-hmm. process. Everyone's mm-hmm. timeline's different, but having that like safe space to unpack that. Um, and then just it sounds like even to this day that like having those experiences where you're like wow this is clearly the the right choice and I I will say that Mm -hmm. from a personal and perspective professional perspective I kind of continue to have that experience too where you're like ah I'm getting reaffirm (laughs) uh, reaffirmation particularly professional recently because personally this is work that I did a while ago and Mm. now I'm like Oh yeah. People are getting better. <laughs> like right. they're feeling more free. They're fe- it's like very, like you say, and it's like, just like more effective. I'm, I'm big into like what's works. <laughs> and yeah, so for sure. being able to look at that. So I love all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we often talk about, or we, or me, uh, people that I work with, uh, uh, the importance of not like towing the line and saying like, I'm doing intuitive eating, but kind of subtly not doing intuitive eating, right? Having some 
diet mentality or whatever you want to call it rules that kind of pulling you down. Did, can you relate to this? Can you speak to that a little bit? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, uh, for me, one of the big things was, um, and I, I'm almost afraid to admit this part of it because it's also like fat phobic in its own right. Um, I was so scared of rising my set point again that I was like so hopeful that by doing intuitive eating, I wouldn't get bigger. Like that was definitely like a big part of it. And also it was introduced to me, intuitive eating was introduced to me like a year and a half before my wedding. So there was still some stuff around that. And then what am I going to look like in the dress? And that's again, a whole other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, (laughs) I, I only wanted to deal with the idea that I was going to keep getting smaller. I didn't want to deal with that initial bloat that I kept reading about that. Like if you start intuitive eating, you might gain weight at first and then it will normalize. Um, and that was my experience. I'm not going to put numbers on it, but yes, that did happen to me. Uh, when I started intuitive eating, like actually doing it, uh, I did put on weight and it was hard. Uh, and without trying at all, I mean, not tr- okay. Cause that's actually not what I mean. Trying in my previous life meant restriction, mm-hmm. but without restricting with, with just continuing the work of intuitive eating, my body has resettled into like the body I kind of am most comfortable at. Like mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable in my skin right now. And, uh, I, I didn't think that was possible for me at the size I currently am. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is where my most comfortable set point is. And I know that now. So do you know what helped you to kind of continue to push through in those difficult moments when there was some fear of seeing some, some weight gain? Um, again, this is almost like a fat phobic thought around it, but I was just so, anticipating the drop-off and I knew it doesn't happen for everyone I know that for some people the drop-off doesn't come so that did scare me a lot that it might not come but it did and I again I don't want to put numbers on it so I don't want people to like because I know it's going to be different for different people but yeah that idea that the majority of people see a bit of a gain and a bit of a loss and then a bit of a normalization process period um that is my experience and it's been kind of nice and kind of nice to not have to buy a whole new summer wardrobe again because when I took out my summer clothes like in previous years I was either like again either way sometimes I'd pull out my summer clothes and I'd be so excited because everything was too big then the next summer everything would be too small that and you know like this was the first summer I pulled out my summer clothes and everything still fit And I was like, whoa, like, this is amazing. And it wasn't like, it didn't fit exactly the same because again, bodies change. Um, But it was kind of incredible to be like, I don't have to spend any money on new summer clothes this year. This is great. Yeah. And it's, it's so, I mean, what you're sharing is, I've said this a hundred times already, like Mm -hmm. it's so common, right? It's a very, all all of what you're sharing is incredibly common. Not that everyone Mm -hmm. has the same experience, of course, but being able to sort of like trust the process, not knowing a hundred percent what would happen, but like it is normal in our society to hope for a smaller body. It doesn't right. like, <laughs> it's almost impossible not because we're bombarded with like messages that if you fit this mold or if you do get smaller, you will get all these social privileges. Right. Totally. And so 
like being able to validate that that thought is like it's it's or that feeling is mm-hmm. hard because I think a lot of times there is shame about it because we feel like we're trying to do this right or or you know be like empowered in it in this positive way yeah, and yeah. um but yet so many people absolutely struggle with that and be able to kind of like trust the process, like how that's the hardest thing to do, like in anything in your life, right? Like, for sure. uh, just put in like effort in this one specific, a different way. Right. But, and just like trust the process. It's a, it's a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if, again, I've, I've kind of heard your story a bit, but you shared, um, something that stuck with me sharing, with your, I believe she was a dietitian who she had encouraged you to eat a small amount of ice cream. Was it each meal for a week or so? Do you mind telling us yeah. a little bit about that experience? Yeah, sure I, uh, again, that. Uh, this was like about six months in and I was telling her about um, some, a food that still had a lot of power over me was ice cream. If I bought a pint, a pint of Haagen-Dazs, it was gone. Like there was no having a couple bites and putting it back in the freezer. And I was like, that's not intuitive. Cause like I'm eating beyond the craving. I'm not just having a few bites and putting it away. Um, and she was like, okay, well then let's do it. Let's have like, even, and I was like, even for breakfast, she was like, especially for breakfast. Um, and I was like okay let's do it and I was and yeah by the end of that week I really didn't want it anymore I didn't feel great I didn't feel awesome about having a couple bites with dinner like I just felt gross Mm -hmm. um and then I was almost mad because again to that previous point of like now you've taken away something that's so pleasurable. This is like a pleasure in my life and it's being taken away from me. And I was so angry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but now like time has passed and now again, like ice cream is back in my life. Like not every day, not every meal, but like when I have it, I do really enjoy it. And I do enjoy, um, the whole process of it and not just, you know, having a couple bites and then like shoving the rest of it down past the taste receptors, past fullness past all these other signals that I used to just be able to ignore now like if I try to even eat past those signals my body's like hey remember last time it was gross like let's Mm -hmm. let's hold Mm -hmm. on here um and again talking about the reaffirming of everything uh during my last birthday it wasn't ice cream but it was it was cake right I had birthday cake in the fridge and about a week later I still had some birthday cake in the fridge and I was like whoa wow good for me right I'm like all ready and I was like well you know what this means I get to have a slice of that cake because that was going to be my reward for holding on to it for a week so I cut it and I get it onto a plate and the first bite I realize it's absorbed the taste of the fridge. You know how sometimes your soft foods can absorb other food tastes and it was awful. Like it was so disgusting that I got up, threw out the slice, threw out the rest of the cake and I didn't feel any kind of like emotion about it other than just a little bit proud that I was able to be like, oh, ew, this is not delicious. It didn't Mm. matter. And again, I could, I could picture myself five years earlier, just eating the whole cake and being like, fuck it. Like, let's just eat it all because it tastes bad and we got to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, not that I'm promoting food waste or like, again, all there's so many layers to all of this stuff, Uh, but the fact that like this emotional, again, sweets uh, had a power over me, especially like 
commercially prepared confectionery sugar treats that are, mm-hmm. you know, just treats. They're treats. I, I want to say mm-hmm. all kinds of bad things about them because we've been like told that they're totally terrible for us. Um, but yeah, so was that week of the ice cream? So you had like a, a some amount of ice cream at every meal. Was that what it was? Yeah. And then yeah. after that week, obviously it resulted in like just a distaste of ice cream, that sort of taste fatigue. Yeah. And you were like a little skeptical, but then I think you were pretty on board. Your you and your dietitian had a good enough relationship. They're like, all right, right, I trust you. Like, let's go for it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because I think that trust is really important too. Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people that even that I've I've shared sort of variety of like types of experiments, and people are very hesitant. And yeah, like I'm like I can't 100 percent promise the result, right? But like, oh for sure. But it's being willing to sort of like, well, let's just see. Let's do an experiment. Yeah. I think you said like it's a week of your life, and um. Yeah. And just being able to like, cause we get so fixated though. Like that's not good. That's bad for you. That has too much sugar. And it's like, mm-hmm. like, like you and she were saying, it's a week of your life and being able to, and now look at like, there's uh, so much more flexibility and freedom around that, like sugar choices. It sounds like totally. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So I love that. Mm-hmm. And, and you also shared a bit about like a continual struggle with like not eating during the day. And then that was leading you to binge at night. Correct. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you have a sense of what was holding you back? Cause I think you said like your dietitian was like, well, <laughs> <you're> not, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, I think when I first, I not even first heard when I was like a good, like six to seven months into intuitive eating, I had talked to her about binge eating. I had been talking to another therapist about it and I was really, really interested in treating the binge part. I didn't want to treat the restriction part because again, I had this narrative in my head that the restriction part was me being good and the binging part was me being bad. And so whenever I did start to binge, I'm, I was like the whole day was over, right? It was kind of like, okay, well, you already had okay, let's use ice cream again. You already had a couple spoonfuls of ice cream. Let's eat the pint. Let's go get some chips. Let's get some Doritos on top of that and wash it down with like an energy beverage and who cared. And so that was part of it was that I still wanted to have those moments because they did release so much stress. Um, The other thing with restriction during the day um, was the performance piece of like going into an office and being like, look at my breakfast. It's just a black coffee. Look at my lunch. It's just a little bit of vegetables. Like, yeah. I don't know why I'm so chubby. I, I know. Right. I, I eat healthy. Look at me. I know. And like, let's go for a walk at lunch. Let's do that together. <laughs> and again, it was this whole idea that like, thank you for giving me a job. I understand. I'm that so I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Let me show you how I'm like, performing how grateful I am yeah um and it didn't happen all the time and like you know especially like if we went out for like a group lunch that also became kind of tricky because I wanted to make sure I was eating enough that people like would be like okay she's not just being a weird performative dieter like it's like you know what I mean it's almost like this layer on layer of it um the other thing is I was restricting during the day because I was binging at night too like it was such a seesaw so like I would restrict all day to give myself permission to binge and then that binge was making me so sick 
that I didn't want to eat the next morning. Mm -hmm. So, and then not eating in the morning led to not eating at lunch, which led to me coming home at like five o'clock with like, oh, and I would talk to my boyfriend, who's now my husband. I'd be like, oh, Ben, I only had half a bagel today. Let's get pizza. (laughs) I deserve it. You know what I mean? And again, and he's also a bigger person and he would be totally into that idea of like, okay, well, yeah, like we didn't eat, like we were so good all day today. Let's be bad tonight. Mm -hmm. And it's so weird to me now to think about like, the the idea that restricting yourself is being so good mm-hmm. like and where yeah. does, where does that come from as opposed to like feeding yourself at every uh not every opportunity you can but feeding yourself at regular intervals is being yeah. so good right responding to your body's cues yeah. what a concept yeah <laughs> yeah so it was definitely cyclical for me where it was the restriction was feeding the binge. The binge was feeding the restriction and on and on and on it went. So mm-hmm. this yeah. um, is a ad hoc question, but what sure. um, your, your, so your now husband watched you mm-hmm. through this process, right? From like the whole, pretty much the whole transformation. Mm-hmm. What, um, how, what is, has he made comments about that or how that influenced his relationship with food? Uh, it's interesting. We have had lots of discussions about it one way or another. Um, it's tough. I think when you're in a relationship, you want to avoid conflict sometimes, and especially over things like what we're going to have for dinner. It's so easy to be like, Oh no, you pick. Oh no, you pick. And you know, it's just easy to like, uh, delegate that. Uh, but it's, it's interesting. Like I want him to change in certain ways, but as I've learned from my own journey, I can't force it on him. Um, so there are some things where sometimes we're eating what he wants to eat in my opinion. Uh, and then the problem with that is even if I'm cool with it in the moment, I tend to not be cool about it a couple days later. And then if we're fighting about something, I'm like, well, I wouldn't be so grumpy if I didn't have to eat pizza two days ago. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, I gotta, I gotta like learn to speak up for myself. Or if you want to have pizza for dinner, that's fine. But I have to make sure I have something to accompany that pizza because my um, mood is very impacted by what I eat and what I don't eat. And I'm getting more and more in touch with that. Um, so yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's, no, I appreciate you sharing that because obviously that's sort of a, sort of a complex question for, for everyone. This idea of like you and your relationship with food, all of us have a complex relationship Mm -hmm. with food usually. And then also the partner it's, it's, uh, yeah, interpersonal dynamics and (laughs) and just the desire to change someone is, is normal. And yet ineffective mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have to yeah. kind of pull ourselves back and like mm-hmm. accept from who they are or you know at least set our boundaries and as- assert ourselves which is uh, a challenge for sure yeah. so <laughs> um what has been your favorite part about intuitive eating uh yeah okay so my favorite part is just becoming more in tune with my body beyond food 
Um, in the beginning of this, uh, we talked about how I was going to the doctor for like irregular periods or whatever. I'm still irregular. Like nothing ever fixed it. <laughs> I think I went through oh. so many different things and now I'm just like, tr- like, I don't even track. I just kind of like, I'm always prepared. Right. Like that's, that's, that's yeah. my solution in life. Yeah. Um, is to just always be prepared now, uh, for it. Um, but I would say before intuitive eating, like, if I had started my period, it was always kind of like a surprise. Like, you know, you go to the washroom and you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know mm-hmm. if this is like getting older or being off birth control or the intuitive eating or what it is, but I can almost feel my period kick off now. Mm-hmm. Like I'll be like, just like doing my own thing and be like, oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. And then I go yeah. to the bathroom and sure enough, there it is. And there isn't like a mess to clean up. Like it's yeah. literally like I can, I'm so in tune with that yeah. now. Uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, And then there's all kinds of little signals like that. Like I get headaches from being dehydrated Mm -hmm. and like before I would just take back a couple Advil, but now when I get a headache, my first question is, Oh wait, when did I last drink water? Mm -hmm. And if that's my first question from a headache, as opposed to, Oh, let me grab the Advil. It's just, again, such a, such a treating the cause. Yeah. 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 Actually giving your body what it needs. Totally. Um, and also just like learning the difference between body size and health has really opened me up to just a lot of beauty that I was missing out on before. Mm. Um, and not just in my own body, but the bodies of others and like people on Instagram and, uh, the, I went to a plus sized yoga class for the first time about two and a half years ago. And now I love yoga. And like, I didn't think I could ever be someone who liked yoga and, that's awesome. Yeah. So that that's I think the the best part for me is just opening up my world in a way that I didn't mm-hmm. see it possible before. Mm, I love that. Yeah. The the beauty, the in touch with I mean, all of that is so good and and so empowering. And um, and I think many people want and deserve that. So mm-hmm. it's good to sort of outline like what is possible. It's there it can be very challenging to go through these, this unlearning process, unlearning mm. and change is really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and also there can be a very, very positive thing that is very worth it. And it sounds like you feel like it's been quite worth it. If I'm oh, hearing you definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously continues to be reaffirmed too. Yeah. I know for me, it's uh, like, I continue to be re. I don't know. I don't notice it as much until I do this work and then I'm like reflecting on it more, but I'll I'm just like always responding to hunger in a way that's like I just didn't do for many years and it's like it actually is like so reinforcing talking about dopamine like to eat when you're hungry and like eat yeah so yeah that's just adding in my two cents about my favorite part is like just that ability to be like all right, body, I'm listening. I'm going to be with you very soon if I'm finishing up something. <laughs> For sure. So. Yeah. And you're on the same team as opposed to different teams. I think I was on a different team yes. than my body for so long. And now we're on mm-hmm. the same team and it's just nice. Yeah. hundred um, percent. I wonder if we can chat briefly about gentle nutrition and kind of what that yeah. looked like for you. Um, there's a reason why it's kind of at the end of the principles. Cause if you jump mm-hmm. too quickly to stressing about health and nutrition, it becomes another diet and more rules. Many people struggle with figuring this out. If it's a food rule or if it's a way to eat, to nourish yourself, mm-hmm. what has that mm-hmm. process been like for you? Uh, again, for me, because there were so many rules wrapped around all these different foods for me, uh, it's been really nice to bring them back in and kind of, again, talk about 
eating what your body asks you to eat and like feeling that response. Um, and also nourishment is not always just physical. Mental nourishment can come from your favorite like taboo foods. The problem for me was that my taboo foods were so seductive and so powerful that uh, now it's more of like a, I can have it as a treat or, you know, when I do want it, as opposed to like being obsessed, obsessed, obsessed about not eating it because, oh my gosh, someone might catch me eating a cookie and then having like 10 cookies in secret. Like it is totally different in that way. Um, Also, like we were just talking about with my partner, like if we order pizza and he only wants to eat pizza, that's on him. I can have my own side salad. I can. And again, it's not because pizza is bad and salad is good. It's because I now know my physical sensation response to different food groups. Um, Something else I've recently discovered actually is that I have an allergy to tomatoes. And it's something that before I embraced intuitive eating and even before I found out about this allergy, tomatoes were part of like every meal. Like if I got a breakfast sandwich from a restaurant, I got tomatoes added on. If I wanted a quick lunch, I grabbed one of those cherry, like a pint of cherry tomatoes with some crackers and cheese. And like, that was my favorite lunch. And I was having tomatoes all the time, all the time, all the time. And with like removing tomatoes from my diet, I'm noticing not just physical changes in my body in terms of like bloating or how often I use the washroom or even like skin clearing up. Like I, I had a really bad, like, um, cyclical acne thing going on that I thought had to do with my like lactose and Mm. drinking too much milk. But once I cut out tomatoes, the acne cleared up and I was like, Oh, silly. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? So nutrition sounds like it wasn't super obvious. I like, that'd be hard for many people. Oh, it was, it was. And it was even one of those things where I had been tested for a bunch of food, a bunch of allergies, a bunch. Okay. Um, and there's lots of like, my favorite things are now off the list, like peaches and cherries. I have an immediate mouth reaction to those foods now, even if they're like, um, with peaches, if they're cooked, it's okay. Or cherries, um, same thing. Like if they're cooked, it's fine. Uh, but if I have raw cherries, which again, this would be the perfect time of year to have some raw cherries, uh, my mouth gets very itchy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went for this test and tomatoes came out as part of it. And the weird thing with the tomatoes was that I wasn't having a mouth reaction. I was only having a digestive reaction, mm-hmm. which because tomatoes were really partnered obvious. with other foods that I would, was always kind of like, oh, those are bad foods. I always blamed the like the bad anyway this is a whole complicated round around 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 to say that like gentle nutrition looks different for everyone and Mm -hmm. as you embrace the journey as you come along it um you'll start to notice what foods make you feel great and which foods make you feel not so great and it's gonna be surprising it's gonna be foods that you didn't even know like i it's so funny that we just talked about hot dogs i was uh like mostly vegetarian for most of my like younger years. Um, and I, I've just gotten into like sausage in the last six months and not a whole sausage. Like I usually I split one, especially if it's on the barbecue or like have some with some pasta. 
And especially around like, I bring up my period a lot of this time too, but especially <laughs> around my period, I love like yeah. having a sausage based meal because again, I feel like my iron stores are back up. Like it feels like really like good inside, like, you know, yeah. uh, where before like a veggie burger just wasn't doing it. Like yeah. it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And a veggie burgers don't even like, like they're not even that good. Like, you know, yeah. like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it is. It's so individual. And that's what like, we talk a little bit on the podcast about like evidence-based nutrition. And I like always do so super cautiously because it's like people, we get so latched onto these things and like mm-hmm. what it looks like. I share like what it looks like for me is like some portion plant-based and I eat pepperoni pizza when I want it. Cause like there is right. <laughs> like some portion plant-based sort of, yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty plant-based and freedom. And that means like, but that's going to be different for everyone. And that's sort of Mm. the, like giving yourself that freedom to explore it and figure it out. Like that was a process. That's not like, that didn't occur after intuitive eating that occurred years later when I tried something out and felt kind of good in a certain pattern. So yeah, it's Mm -hmm. such a, it's so easy for people to look at that's our culture, right? Like, what are you doing? I need to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's worth doing the work. It sounds like to explore the connection, whether you have testing or whether it's just looking at patterns and keeping an open mind, mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. it, you can feel quite a bit better. Is is what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, definitely. Um, what if any aspects about this relationship with food piece? do you still struggle with? Uh, yeah, I'm really glad to have a chance to talk about this. Cause like, I mean, Oh man. Uh, so my weight does bug me still sometimes. Like I, I, I wish as much as everything has like stabilized and I feel comfortable in my skin and all this kind of stuff. Um, I always feel kind of like sometimes when I'm not fitting in, I don't mean fitting in socially, socially. I mean like physically fitting in to a a space. Um, So right now we're doing a huge decluttering project uh, in our apartment. And that means there's a lot of stations set up, right? There's like a table here and a table there and then a table made out of cardboard boxes (laughs) over there. And it's like an obstacle course to get through it. And like, I have to really move my body in ways that like, I really wish I could just walk. I really wish I could just walk in a straight line and get to where I need to go. But this constant like maneuvering of my body. And if I don't constantly maneuver it, and even sometimes when I am maneuvering, I knock things over with like my hips or my butt or my elbow, because there's just too much stuff on top of like me being almost too much. Uh, So in that way, I, I struggle with the idea that like, well, if I just went on another diet, I wouldn't be so physically not fitting in. And again, it's not how I feel internally. It's how I feel with external pressure. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I have this whole other issue, uh, which is that as about like, I'm someone who wears about a size 2X, 3X, which can be hard to find uh, in clothing stores. And when I do find it, I get really excited, right? And I'm like, oh, yes, a score. I was able to get a sports bra at like a Walmart. I can't believe it. And, you know, I'm now learning through being more in the fat liberation space as opposed to the body positive space that there are people much larger than myself. And I'm almost considered like a mid fat um, 
that I should be championing even bigger sizes. But again, I had this narrative in my, in my head that I'm so big and I, I, all this stuff that I never even considered people bigger than me. And I just got so excited when like, I started seeing two X and three X in more like regular stores. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to find a way to like, look at my privilege in the body I have right now which is that like some people see me as like the biggest person they know and some people see me as someone with a lot of privilege because I I exist in this middle ground almost Mm -hmm. um so that's hard that's 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 been a challenge for me to kind of figure out like like where do I fit and is it is it okay that I'm doing art with the word fat Cause like a lot of people would call me a fat, whatever insult you want to throw on top of that. So it's, it's strange to be told like, oh, well, maybe you're not that fat and you know, yeah. Yeah. So that's something I'm struggling with. (laughs) Yeah. You, you bring up such an important point that I think, um, I think we all struggle with in a variety of ways of like, where do I belong? Where do I fit in, in this, whether it's within the, like body liberation space or mm-hmm. intuitive eating or just like I don't know for me within my field right like where do I fit in where do I belong and 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 that sense of belongingness is a innate psychological need that we all have because we are mm. wired for human connection and and that's one of the three psychological needs we all that facilitate long-term behavior change is belonging Uh, sense of belonging that's one of the three the other two are competence and autonomy Mm. but what you're describing and I I, I'm a big Brene Brown fan so she's been sort of a guide for me so I'll I'll share here in case it's useful to you or maybe you've heard her talk about like belonging to yourself and Mm. and how there's always a pull to like belong to certain groups and that's normal yeah but yet we have to figure out some way to belong to ourselves too and, and sort of go to what we think is true for us. And, and, and that there's always going to be, especially on social media, right? Like pressures and opinions about mm, mm-hmm. where you belong and where you don't. And I right. mean, I certainly struggle with that with like talking about these topics of like, well, who am I to talk about this? I have side sure. privilege, right? And so, and yet my gut says like, we need more conversations about this everywhere. So I'm going to chime mm-hmm. in. Right. But there is always that fear of like being told, like at some point I'm not, you know, I don't have a big online presence. So at sure. some point someone's going to be like, <laughs> who are you? I'm going to get like, right. you know, some comments and, and I'm not going to like that, but so I don't know if that's useful, but I, I really appreciate you sharing just like, that's where you're at with some things of just trying to figure mm-hmm. out like, where do I fit in? And sort of, as you move into different circles, kind of unpacking what it means to be in your body and, and then, and, and just navigating that it's, there's not a quick and easy answer, but mm-hmm. the desire for belonging is very normal. That's really, I guess funny. I, I, I do like Brene Brown. I haven't heard this concept though before. So I do like it a lot. Cause even when I look back at my friend groups that I've had over the years, for some reason, I'm like the fat person in the group. And I think that also built into this narrative that like, oh, I'm just the biggest person everywhere. Like I just built, I bought into this idea. I, you know, I, and I don't know if it's that I was conscious. I that must've been subconsciously resisting fatter friends or I don't know what that was about. Um, but I just, you know, I, be- it was so nice to belong to like a group that when I looked at the group, I saw a group of mainstream 
people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're right. Like the, uh, belonging to yourself is really powerful. Um, yeah. Braving the wilderness like, is her book specifically. That's geared towards that topic. Okay. Nice. I, I read daring yeah. greatly. Yeah. Which, I believe braving, uh, braving really the wilderness was the next one after doing greatly. I believe. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so many great books to read. Everyone, I know. <laughs> there's can you stay on top of all of them. I know. Yeah, it's overwhelming. But even just hopefully the concept will provide some comfort mm-hmm. to you or other people because I guarantee, I think everyone struggles with belonging in some way or shape or form. Yeah, and like what you're saying too. Like I actually find it really uplifting when I hear people with like smaller size privilege talking about fat liberation because I do agree that all sizes need to talk about it or else it doesn't get noticed you know it's it's like trying to talk about I don't know it's like it's like being I'm not a parent right but when I worked in an office there was always like the parents talking about what they needed support from and it was like the non, it was always like parents versus non-parents in a way, mm. like in the office mm-hmm. environment. And I don't know how this is like now with COVID and like the working from home aspect. This is just like four or five years ago, back when I still worked in an office. Yeah. And, you know, I brought up parenting once around March break, like someone wanted to take vacation. I was like, oh, but isn't that March break? And they're like, oh, why do you know when March break is? And I was like, oh, well, because, you know, it's part of office culture to know what's going on with your coworkers. And co-workers have kids and March break's coming up. (laughs) So I also just, I really appreciate when people of all sizes are talking about it and not just not this. Oh man. I almost just said something really rude. (laughs) Like not just the plus size people are talking about it. You know, that's all, that's all I wanted to say. So I thank you for getting involved. (laughs) No, I appreciate that feedback. It's always good to hear. Um, because yeah, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we're always sort of like, am I going to get socially rejected? Or like, that's, that's a normal fear. We're wired for connection. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I I appreciate you sharing that. Um, And, and what, and we'll move on uh, to our like motivation questions at the end. We like to talk about like intrinsic motivation. So what's one thing you have truly intrinsic motivation for? So as a reminder to you and the listeners, you're doing this behavior for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior, like you enjoy it, find it challenging and or satisfying something about the behavior in its own right you enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, this is uh, listening to uh, really uplifting music, but not just listening and not just singing along, but full blown, like acting it out. Like you are a rock star. You have a whole audience of people who are looking up to you. I have a terrible singing voice, like uh-huh. really, really bad, but <laughs> I still love to sing. And I love learning all the words to new songs. I love relearning like words to songs that I thought I knew. I love it. And sometimes I'll go a few days without putting music on and I'll get into like a funk and realize like, oh, wait, why haven't I put music on? And so it doesn't matter if it's like chores related or just getting ready for the day. Um, I have a lot of different playlists that are like really attuned to like, what character am I going to play today? (laughs) Uh, And I just love it. I, I love, love, love uh, rocking out. (laughs) That sounds so joyful. And, um, and, and going back to our Brene Brown theme of just like this idea Mm -hmm. of like not playing it cool and just like 
there is so much freedom if you can just like let loose fully. And um, some of us really struggle with that. I, I very much used to, um, mm. and I don't as much as I used to now, like dancing right. or singing or whatever full out and not being self-conscious is so freeing and uh, can be so joyful. So that's, that's yeah. an amazing one. I mean, I can't do it with other people, even with my husband home. I don't like I, I with my uh-huh. husband home, I lip sync uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm still acting it out. I'm still like, you know, got the like limbs flailing about and I'm still nice. like doing all that. But to actually sing along at the top of my lungs, that's a solo activity. That's yeah. not something I can do in front of other people. Yeah, so. there's probably gradations of all of it for sure. Yeah. Like <laughs> some freedom can be done in front of other people. I do. Mm-hmm. I do more like I let loose more in front of other people than I used to, but I would agree. There's still some that's reserved for not, not yeah. an audience. So. <laughs> totally. I love that though. Um, and, and what about, so we're talking about the, from a should to a choose to question. So this is an example of a behavior that was always a should for you that you used to struggle mm. to do consistently, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently, either because you value it, um, you know, or some, something allowed you to do it more consistently, even when it was a struggle in the past, it used to be a should. Yeah. So for me, this is drinking water. Uh, I have definitely been some of the, one of these people, again, I drank water when I was being good and I drank everything else when I didn't want to be good. Um, and so for me, uh, two things have really helped me. Uh, one is having like different water bottles all over the house and not just one that kind of follows me from room to room. So I have like one at my desk and I have one uh, in the kitchen and I try to fill them all like the night before and put them in the fridge. And then I try to grab them throughout the day. Um, And then even when I'm having like something that isn't water, uh, I try to just put tons of ice in my cup, uh, whether it's like a pop or an energy beverage or even sparkling water. Um, I'm trying to like embrace the ice life <laughs> um, <laughs> nice. to, you know because then at least I can like trick myself because I'm like well this was half a glass of water it was <laughs> and it's not like oh a couple ice cubes it's like to the top, to the top. filled with ice <laughs> then my like fun beverage on top so those are the two like like ways I'm trying to drink more water and again back to that like gentle nutrition element of it I do feel different if I've drank enough water versus when I'm dehydrated like it's just and again, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where you're like, it shouldn't be this simple, but it is. <laughs> like, well, yeah. Cause diet culture tells us there's all these complicated ways that we need to be different, but it sounds like, and this is super common when you remove yourself from that hook of like shoulds and diet mentality, there's freedom, but then there's still maybe some logistics that you need to put into your life that help you to do the behavior, right? Like all mm-hmm. of us, like if we have something closer to us or we have sort of a routine, um, that makes it easier to do. So you have some logistical things, but then you have the underlying foundation of like body respect and choice is kind of how I think of it. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Mm -hmm. Um, well, this has been a super fun conversation to wrap up. I wonder if you can share with us maybe some of the main things you'd love people to know who are attempting to learn intuitive eating. For sure. Um, so Again, I don't know if this is just that I've been into it for a while or if it is actually changing, um, but I'm seeing some intuitive eating posts that aren't haze aligned, 
Like there's a little bit of like intuitive eating, but only for certain people. Again, almost like almost the same thing I told myself at the beginning of this journey, I'm almost seeing confirmed on Instagram and stuff like that. Or Mm. um, so just if you are going to be exploring intuitive eating, make sure that the person uh, helping you through that journey is also aligned with health at every size, um, because I am seeing I, I don't want to call out any specific companies, but I am starting to see some things that are like trying to use the language of intuitive eating, but still selling a diet. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. something I would want so, yeah, people be careful. to be cognizant be of. Be cautious of who's guiding you through it and, and what mm-hmm. their orientation is and understanding that, that, yeah, definitely. I think mm-hmm. that's super smart advice. And okay. So you're seeing it more. And I'm like, I am curious, but then it's like, yeah, social media is, and uncharted we can't control that so again I don't know if it's actually changing or if it's just that I'm so into it now that I'm starting to see it differently you know that weird I don't even know what that effect is called but yeah Yeah, but but yeah that the good thing is you get to this place where you're so ingrained in the learning that you can decipher Mm -hmm. and and that's that's powerful I think hopefully for people to take away and hear is like because there's going to be diet culture stuff forever, right? Whether it's yeah. uh, really obvious or whether it's really subtle, it's going mm-hmm. to probably exist forever yeah. in some amount, right? <laughs> and so being able to have the empowerment to know what is what and, and know in your gut. And that's why I love like intuitive eating. I love the like concept of intuition bro- more broadly of like mm-hmm. particularly women trusting their intuition and being able to guide themselves, which is hard, but, yeah. um, but, but yeah, that's cool to hear that you've been able to sort of like suss it out. Maybe, maybe there's some shifts. My guess is it was probably always there. Um, but what either the algorithm wasn't showing it to you or right. it, um, someone I recently interviewed on the podcast was talking about the, it becoming overt to covert. And that's, I think they were mm-hmm. referencing, mm-hmm virgie tovar talking about that yeah yeah yeah. so that anyway it that might be relevant here too but yeah virgie's amazing uh actually that's something we didn't even talk about uh virgie uh was definitely a key element uh to my journey Mm -hmm. uh i met her in person in 2017 i went to san francisco and participated in her babe camp experience and there was eight of us i think oh wow eight of us including her like and yeah really really intimate and uh we would go we we would unpack stuff all day about like body stuff and then we would go on these really beautiful walks uh at night in uh like the beautiful mountains hills of san francisco uh that's amazing and uh yeah sometimes i kind of forget that i had that experience when i'm talking about all like the learning and the intuitive eating part of the whole thing but uh i think that weekend uh was incredible and it was also like the first time i had traveled by myself in a really long time or Mm. and that was also really an important part of it too was like remembering who I am outside of being in a couple and all this other stuff love my husband want to stay with him forever but again these moments are also just really like important for women to discover hundred percent yes like that relationship with yourself and that self-trust is is more than just about eating it's about this mm-hmm. broader picture and and most of the time it's not like one thing that changes our our everything it's always like this culmination of experiences and like 
laying the groundwork maybe there and and so that's that's cool that mm-hmm. sounds amazing so yeah it was it was very uh, enriching for sure yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Shadow. This was really fun. I You have so much to share with everyone. We could talk all day, but thank you so much for being here and on the podcast. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you <laughs> for everything. All right, everyone. I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. I have a feeling that maybe some of you were chuckling along with us um, because Shadow is very honest and very real and authentic and very fun and funny. So it was a very enlightening conversation, I think, for many people who struggle with what on earth does intuitive eating really look like? How do I navigate the complexities of it? And I think the main takeaways here are, you know, just a reminder that intuitive eating takes time to learn and unlearn a lot. And there's a lot to unpack for most of us. And what can really help in that process is supportive providers who truly get it and truly make space for you to explore your identity and your feelings and the uncomfortable emotions that come up as you think about relating to your body in this very different way. We also had a conversation at the end there about this desire for a sense of belonging and how that's 100% valid and normal and probably will never go away. And that relates to this idea of kind of desiring weight loss or a smaller body. It's hard to know for sure if it'll ever truly go away, but not beating yourself up if you have that thought or that desire. And that doesn't mean anything except that we live in a society where the thin ideal is we're bombarded with messages that that is good. That is the thing we need to be pursuing. And that it's nothing wrong with you that you're having those thoughts. It doesn't mean you're doing intuitive eating wrong. It doesn't mean that anything, because it. I think having compassion for yourself about the discomfort that comes up or the, the thoughts that aren't fully aligned with body respect and all of these things that we're trying to work towards appreciation, it's typically going to be messier than we'd like it to be. And it's certainly not wrapped up in a bow like, diet programs try to sell us. I think another takeaway is honesty is so important. Being honest with, uh, Shadow's really honest with us in this interview and with herself about fears and objections and struggles that she's had and some that she still has. And, and again, it's sort of related to that point of like, you're not, it's not linear and there's no like doing this right. It's just continuing to try learn, fail sometimes, pick yourself back up, reevaluate with kindness and continue along. And this is true for eating and anything. So, and the final thought she had at the end there is that just be cautious of diet culture messages that are maybe subtle or covert and is still like a diet, still an external prescription, this can truly undermine the intuitive eating process. So make sure the program or provider you're working with is truly aligned with um, either health at every size or intuitive eating is a really helpful way to know, or um, just making sure that with time, this will get easier and always consulting with a provider if you're unclear about this. So I hope you had fun. I hope you laughed a bit. And if you want to reach out to Shadow, we have her Instagram handle 
at Shadow Ball, S-H-A-D-O-E-B-A-L-L. And then she has the Instagram account, The Word Fat, just as it sounds. And so you can check her out there. You can also check out her dog at Tiny Gertie, <laughs> so G-E-R-T-I-E. So uh, yeah, tag Psychology Wellness, tag Shadow if you found this episode helpful, because um, I know that many people will. All right, everyone, have a good one. If you're anything like me, you may at times really feel like there's so much pain in the world that it's pretty overwhelming. And even though I do my best to avoid the news, it's hard to avoid feeling helpless at times, that you can't do anything to make positive change. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's one positive change that I've made in terms of where I buy my books, and I'd invite you to do the same. Bookshop is a website that supports local bookstores near you, as well as affiliates that work with them. So if you buy through the bookshop link, you're going to be supporting local bookstores near you in the U.S. and Canada, and you're going to be supporting my blog and podcast. It's kind of like a tip jar. Did you know that if nothing slows their momentum, Amazon will have about 80% of the book market by the end of 2025? Look, I have Amazon Prime, I love the convenience, but this is a super cool way that you can do something positive with where you buy your books and support some really positive causes. Make sure you check it out. You can find all of my favorite books about health and wellness, but also about topics like courage, vulnerability, and even some of my favorite fiction and kids books for the times when you just need some fun, downtime, or some meaningful stories. My recent favorite is related to improving the quality of our lives and the way we use technology and really doing so from a value-based place. No pressure. It's not going to tell you that technology is bad. It's just going to help you to evaluate for you where the pros outweigh the cons and where they don't. So if you believe in supporting local, controlling the things that you can, please consider buying your books through Bookshop and through the Psychology of Wellness link. You can find that in the show notes, or you can go to drshawnhondorp.com. That's D-R-S-H-A-W-N-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash bookshop. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable, and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard, and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.